1989, the Supreme Court of the United States was asked to decide on the case of Allegheny County versus ACLU. Um, Allegheny County is uh, where Pittsburgh is in Pennsylvania. And they had in front of their um, county headquarters, they had a Christmas tree and a nativity scene and a menorah, all on public property. And the ACLU sued, um, claiming that it was, they were endorsing these religious symbols. So the court recognized that religious symbols on public property violate the establishment clause of the Constitution, and it is illegal for, pub to, for public um, entities in the United States to place, um, to place religious symbols on public property. However, the question that they dealt with was, are these religious symbols? Now, I'm not going to deal with the Christian symbols, but the question is, is the menorah a religious symbol? So the court delivered an opinion written by Justice Harry Blackman, and he opined that the menorah is not a religious symbol. It is a Jewish cultural symbol. And then he continued and he said that if an example of a religious Jewish symbol would be the Star of David. That would be like a cross, which would not be able to be displayed on public property in the United States. Now, while the origins of the menorah are definitely religious, we had a menorah in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, and uh, we, of course, celebrate the religious holiday of Hanukkah as with a menorah. Uh, with lighting a menorah. And one can argue, as the court does, that this cultural significance as well to the menorah, secular Jews also see a connection to the menorah. However, as we'll see today, the court was mistaken. The Star of David, or in Hebrew, the Magen David, Shield of David, does not really have any religious significance to Jews and is not a religious symbol. What then is the origin of the Star of David, or in Hebrew, Magen David, which more accurately translates as the Shield of David? Where did it come from? And why is that the most recognized Jewish symbol today? So the Star of David, or Magen David, this really the Seal of David, is not mentioned anywhere in early or Jewish literature. It is not found anywhere. Now, the term Magen David, Shield of David, is mentioned in our um, blessing that we recite after reading the Haftorah. Um, we um, conclude one of the blessings, Magen David, the Shield of... Blessed are you, Baruch Atash, and blessed are you, God, Magen David, the Shield of David. But that is referring to God as the Shield of David. God is David's shield, meaning the one who protects David. Right? So that's referring to God, um, and that is found in our prayers. Not referring to a particular symbol, though. Referring to the shape of what we call the Magen David, the Shield of David, or the Star of David. Um, and we're calling it Magen David, the Shield of David, is not found um, anywhere in Jewish literature until the 1700s. We don't find it anywhere. It's not mentioned in Tanakh, in the Holy Scriptures. It's not mentioned in the Talmud. It's not mentioned in any Midrashim. Until the 1700s, we don't find it anywhere. In fact, Judaism never really had an official symbol 
there was no official symbol for Judaism. The Torah tells us that the 12 tribes each had a flag. Each tribe had a flag. But Judaism, for the entire Jewish people, we didn't have a flag for the Jewish people. There was no flag or symbol for the Jewish people. Now, they did have Jewish designs. So when they kind of wanted to decorate Jewish things, whether it was early synagogues, um, whether it was Jewish um, items or ornaments, they did have Jewish, and we have found in archaeological discoveries, ancient synagogues that have designs with menorahs, designs of the lulav and a design, picture of a lulav and etrog, a picture of a shofar. We find a square often goes together with them as well. We think the square is the tablets. The square could be a lot of things, but it's presumed that the square is the tablets. Um, the tablets were not as the Michelangelo tablets um, are drawn kind of with these with a rounded top, but the original tablets were definitely square. Um, and so it was probably the tablets. So those were symbols of Judaism. Right? They weren't, there wasn't a particular flag of Judaism, particular symbol of Judaism, but those were things that were used in designs for Judaism. Um, they did also put in a lion. Now, the lion was the flag of the tribe of Judah. Now, one of the explanations as to where the term Jew, or in Hebrew, Yehudi, where it comes from, is that it comes from the name Judah, Yehuda, because, as we've mentioned in previous classes, at a certain point, the, tribe of, the land of Israel split into two. The northern kingdom became known as Israel. The southern kingdom became known as Judah, Yehuda, or Judea. And um, later, the northern kingdom um, ended up disappearing, and the, all of Israel became Yehuda or Judea um, during the late first temple, and so the people became known as Yehudim or Jews. So the kingdom of Judah would have associated itself with the flag of Judah, which is the lion. So the lion of Judah is also found in many early um, places as a symbol of Judaism. Uh, it would be the flag of the tribe of Judah, which most Jews probably are descended from, or um, at least the term Jews come from. Now, we do find some ancient stars of David. The oldest known image of a star of David was found in an ancient synagogue in the land of Israel from the 3rd or 4th century, that's the 200s or 300s, in a place called Kfar Nachum in northern Israel. We also found the star of David on some graves that we think are Jewish in Italy from about that period. We found also, this star is also found in the front of the Leningrad Codex, um, or Keter Leningrad. Leningrad is this former name for St. Petersburg. In the Leningrad, it's called the Leningrad Codex because in St. Petersburg there's this great library um, that has a lot of stolen Jewish items. And among those things, there is a, uh, the oldest existent um, copy of the Torah is found there, known as Keter Leningrad, or the Leningrad Codex, a Hebrew copy of the Torah. And um, it's written about a thousand years ago. And the title page, it's handwritten, and the title page has a large Star of David on it. From a thousand years ago. And we've also found the Star of David in various other places, not a lot, but we found a few. 
But there is no evidence that the star in any of these places was meant as a Jewish symbol. There's no such description. There's no why. We don't find it all over the place, kind of, or anything that's Jewish, in a sense where everything that's Jewish seems to have it. It doesn't, there's no evidence that it was meant as a Jewish symbol. It is highly likely, and it's assumed, that it was simply a symmetrical design drawn by an artist with no particular significance. In fact, the Star of David on the Leningrad Codex has all these kind of triangles around it, which kind of makes it appear as just kind of part of the design. Um, so it, is, it could just be simply a symmetrical artistic design that they put in various places and they made all sorts of different artistic symmetrical designs were common in the ancient world. And this is just another one with two opposite triangles facing in opposite directions. Yes? Does a number six mean something? I'll get this. The Star of David likely first came into use as a Jewish symbol in response to Christianity. Jews began to move into Christian Europe, lived in, lived in the Roman Empire um, in somewhat large numbers, but most Jews did not live in Roman Christian in the Ro Christian Roman Empire. But after the collapse of the Roman Western Roman Empire, um, and uh, in uh, starting from about the 8th, 9th, 9th century, large Jewish communities developed in Europe, mostly in Italy and Germany, and um, uh, later in Christian Spain. And so Jews lived in Christian lands, most uh, by, the, um, by the 12th, 13th century, most Jews were living in Christian lands. And Jews never had a religious symbol. We never had a symbol that served as a symbol for Judaism. We had various things. The menorah is a Jewish thing, kind of things that were distinctively Jewish. The little venetro, the shofar. Um, these are distinctively Jewish things. There was no symbol that we would put all over the place as a sign of being Jewish that you know, Jewish people would walk around with or you know, synagogues would have. But Christians did very much have a clear symbol of their religion. They had the cross that they plastered everywhere. Every church had a big cross on it. Many churches had a big tower on top with a huge cross on it. Inside the church, there were lots of crosses. Um, the Christians wore crosses on necklaces, on their clothing. It was all over. It was a very strong sign in processions. They held big crosses. It was a sign of Christianity. Jews never had a symbol like that. Is that because that encroaches on idolatry? No, we just never had. It just never was. It wouldn't be an idol. It's just a symbol, right? So when Jews did need a symbol, um, they chose, for some reason, at least they chose the Star of David. Now, why they chose that star, we're not certain. But the first instance where we find the Star of David as actually a symbol for the Jewish community was in 1354. The um, King Karl IV, the Holy Roman Emperor, King of Germany, allowed the Jews of Prague, which was then considered part of Germany, um, to have a flag representing their community. And it was kind of a status, it was a sign of honor. At those in those days, most, um, in, or all um, noblemen, or all, um, uh, all um, estate owners essentially had their own coat of arms, their own flag, and so they, they allowed the Jews to choose a flag. And uh, for whatever reason, rather than choosing what had been 
Often the coat of arms for prominent Jewish families over the years would be the Lion of Judah, right? Because it's kind of a Jewish symbol. Um, for whatever reason, they chose the Star of David. It's not clear that they chose that shape randomly, or maybe Jews already considered it somewhat of a symbol. It's not clear why. But they chose the Star of David. And the Star of David really, we could say, began as a Jewish symbol in Prague and continued to be used in Prague as a symbol for the Jewish community from then on. Um, the various synagogues, early synagogues in Prague, one of the oldest synagogues in Europe is, stands in Prague today, was built about five, six hundred years ago, has a big Star of David on it. Synagogues were built with these Stars of David. And in Prague, it became kind of the symbol of the Jews of Prague. Um, other communities, uh, by the 16th century, other communities adopted it. The Jews of Budapest at the time um, adopted it. Um, Jews in other, some other communities around Central Europe adopted the star as well. Uh, this um, star as, um, as kind of a Jewish symbol. The first time we hear this star referred to as Magen David, the Shield of David, um, is, in, is in the 1500s. It's referred to as the Shield of David. Um, it's not clear where that name came from and why they referred to it as the Shield of David. Was there a tradition that this was on David's shield? Um, we're not certain why they started referring to it as the Shield of David. It wasn't until the 18th century um, that... Um, a book was published, Eretz HaChayim, um, by Rabbi Avram Chaim Katz. And he's the first to mention that King David had a star, six-pointed six star on his shield. And that's why it was the shield of David. And he's the first one to bring it. So not till the 1700s that this is actually mentioned. Now, I should point out that earlier sources actually had other descriptions for David's shield. Um, in uh, a earlier, Kabbal earlier Kabbalistic works uh, speak of um, King David having a menorah on his shield, that he had the shape of a seven, um, he had the shape of a um, seven branched menorah on his shield, which would be kind of a Jewish symbol because it's a distinctively Jewish item um, on his shield and um, the, uh, it speaks in these works of Kabbalah over the, pow the power of the menorah for protection. Particularly, there's a, there's a psalm, Psalm 67, that can be written out in the shape of a menorah because of the kind of word structure, the way it's, um, the number of words in each verse kind of fits perfectly to the shape of a menorah. And, um, and uh, often that, you know, often um, Kabbalists would write it out write out Psalm 67 in the shape of the menorah. It has the first verse a little bit longer, then the next verse a little shorter, then a little shorter, kind of the branches are shorter, and then the middle verse is very long, and then it has short, longer, longer. So it kind of uh, fits perfectly into the shape of a menorah. The, um, the, uh, the seven verses of, the, of, the, of, the, um, of chapter 67 of Psalms um, uh, fits perfectly into a menorah. So that was on David's shield. But anyway, the, in, the, in this later work, it does say that the six-pointed star was on David's shield. Um, the um, in, um, Rabbi Avram Chaim Katz explains in his book 
that the six sides of the star represent has capitalistic significance. It represents the six emotional sephirot. So there are various, there are ten sephirot. Six of them are emotional. They are the sphira of um, chesed, kindness, vura, discipline, tif eret, which is balance, ability to find balance between um, different sides, um, netzach, which is motivation, hod, submission, yesod, connection. So those six together repre- are represented in the six pointed uh, in the six pointed star. Um, now. The, now, those six spherot together are known as Ze'er Anpin, which is, um, or, the, um, or the masculine side of God. It is uh, referred to often in Kabbalah by the acronym Za, which stands for Ze'er Anpin, the masculine side of God. Um, and those six spherot all um, are the source of the seventh sephira of Malchut royalty. Royalty is our ability to communicate and connect to other people. It's called Malchut. Now, David was a king. So literally, royalty is for a king. And so David, as the king, his energy, spiritual energy, comes from the six sephirot that are the source of Malchut, the source of royalty. And so therefore, he had the six-pointed star on his... um, He had the six-pointed star on his shield um, as uh, representing these six sephirot, these six masculine spherot that all um, that that are all serve as the source and energize machut, the feminine sphera um, of machut of royalty. Now it is pointed out that the great Kabbalist, the Arizal, also speaks about two triangles found in this six, these six sephirot. However, the Arizal speaks of two parallel triangles. One triangle with another triangle underneath it, both pointing down. So you would have um, chesed, kindness, vora, discipline, and then beneath it, balance. And then you would have um, netzach, motivation, hod, submission, and then underneath it, yesod. So it would be kind of two triangles pointed down, not the star of David. Here you have the one triangle that is the other way around, right? And so um, that does work in Kabbalah, and that is what in such a um, Kabbalistic view, in such a, um, in such a shape, the sephira of Tiferet, which is balance, stands above the two spheros of chesed, kindness, and vura, discipline. And Kabbalah explains that really balance finds, you have kindness on the one side is the power to give, discipline is the power to withhold, and the two are opposites. Balance finds a balance between these two opposites. Tiferet is a balance, the ability to find the balance between these two opposites. Now it comes from these two, first you need the two opposites and then you could find the balance. So therefore, you would have the chesed and vora on top, and then you would have the tiferet, the balance underneath. However, here in the Star of David, the triangle is flipped. And that's what we call the pnimiyut hasfirot, the internal sefirot. 
In other words, on a much deeper level, in order for balance to be able to find the balance between the two sides, it would need to stand above the two sides. In the um, in Kabbalah, we say that, um, it, well, we have a part, a line in our prayers that we say, Oseh Shalom Bimramav. God makes peace among his supernal, um, those that dwell in, in his supernal heavens. And it refers to, the Kabbalah explains, it refers to the fact that there is Michael, the angel of kindness, there is Gabriel, the angel of discipline, and they clash. But God makes peace between them. Or, as, or Michael is water, Gabriel is fire, the water and fire clash, either the wa- fire um, Either the fire burns the water or the water puts out the fire. But God is able to make peace between the two. How is that? How is that? So imagine that you're in an organization and you have two sides. In this organization, you have the sales department. The sales department is looking for all sorts of ways they can market and get the product and sell more product and offer deals and everything they can do. And then on the other hand, on the other side, you have the accounting department, the finance department. They want to make sure that we could balance our books. So the sales department is always looking to spend and offer deals and market. And the finance department says, one second, we can't do that. We don't have the money for it. We need to turn a profit. It's not going to work. So the two sides keep clashing. So what do they do? They go to the CEO. Why? Because the sales department is only thinking about sales. They don't care about balancing the books. The finance department is only thinking about balancing the books. They don't care about the sales. So, but the CEO sees it all. He sees the big picture. So the CEO sees both sides and says, well, we need to improve our sales, but we also don't want to put ourselves out where the company is going to go bankrupt. We have to find the proper balance. So only if you stand above and see the bigger picture can you find balance between the two. And that is why God is able to make ba- make, find the balance or make peace between Michael water and Gabriel fire. So when Tiferet, the, in its deeper sense, Tiferet balance stands above Chesed and Vura. So the six-pointed star where the top point sits at the, the, where the center point, the top center point sits at the top above the two sides would be an internal, um, an internal perspective of the six spherot or a deeper perspective of the six spherot, not the general perspective where Tiferet, the balance, isn't receiving from or finding balance between kindness and discipline, but it rather stands above them both to be able to merge the two. So that is a little of a um, Kabbalistic perspective of this six-pointed star. Um, but to be clear, it, was, it has important Kabbalistic significance and is found in some early works of um, Kabbalah where it's not called the Star of David. The first one to call it the Star of David and connect it to the Star of David that was widely used is um, Rabbi Avram Chaim Katz in Eretz HaChaim in the 1700s. But there are much earlier books that offer various different 
Kabbalistic shapes that were often used in what we called kameot or amulets, kind of little things of parchment that people would often wear that had Kabbalistic powers. They would draw these different shapes. And so this was a common one among a number of other shapes, including the seven-branch menorah with chapter 67 that I mentioned earlier, with, um, and many a number of other shapes, were, and the two upside-down triangles, two triangles pointed down, one on top of the other, and there's many other Kabbalistic shapes, but this was one of many. It's um, brought in a book called Razi al-Malach from the 1200s, uh, Kabbalistic work. It's, um, uh, it's brought in a book called Otiyot Shalmatat, also from, around, from, from the from medieval period. So it is found, this shape, in a number, in ca- number of early ca- medieval Kabbalistic works, although not as a Jewish symbol, just as a Kabbalistic shape, and not referred to as the shield of David. Um, so, but it does have, it is one of a number of important uh, mystical Kabbalistic shapes. Yes? Before King David. Before King David. I don't know. I don't know. Again, we don't have any evidence. I'm wondering why we connect the star to David as opposed to just a Jewish star. So, Rebavram Chaim Katz, in this book, the first time he, it's mentioned that the Kabbalistic connection to the star of David, to the Magen David, says that David is royalty, is a king. And the Sphira of Malchot is the feminine Sphira that gets all of its energy from the six spherot of Zah, from the six masculine spherot that are represented in the Magen David, in the Shield of David. So that's the connection to David because he gets his energy from these six masculine spherot. But again, this connection to David is not mentioned. It's only called Magen David first in the 1500s. And it's not until the, and it was only first used as a Jewish symbol in Prague in the 1300s. And it's not connected to its Kabbalistic, and it's used by Kabbalists in early times as in one of a number of Kabbalistic symbols, but it's not connected to the star of David and David until this 18th century. According to this work, yes, yes. But I did point out that there are other versions of what was on David's shield. So when did it become accustomed to put the Star of David on gravestone? So until the early 19th century, the Star of David was used as a Jewish symbol in Prague and in some other Central European cities, but in no way was it a universally recognized Jewish symbol. There was no universally recognized Jewish symbols. Synagogues had menorahs. So many synagogues had uh, synagogues and the Ark often had the Lion of Judah, often had other Jewish symbols of Jewish of the shofar, the Lulav and Etro, um, often had all 12 flags described in the Midrash of the 12 tribes we see on, on old synagogues. Um, but in until the early 19th century, it was used as a Jewish symbol in Prague and some other Jewish cities, but it was in no way a universally recognized Jewish symbol, and there was no universally recognized Jewish symbol. It was considered, 
It was considered by Kabbalists to have mystical significance, one of a number of various shapes that had mostly, um, like the Star of David, um, mostly um, just kind of basic shapes that um, had mystical significance. Um, but it wasn't considered by Kabbalists in any way the unique symbol of the Jewish people. In the late, sorry? What about the mezuzah? we put on the door. I don't know if it was a Jewish symbol. So it, did, in those days, did, that, did they have them on the doors? Of course, mezuzah is mentioned in the Torah. Of course, we always had a mezuzah. In the late 18th and 19th century, that changed. And it probably changed mostly due to what's known as the Reformation movement in, that began in Judaism. So in Germany, sorry. In Germany, in the late 18th, early 19th century, um, Jews were being persecuted, as they were all over Europe. And many Jews, starting in Berlin and other places, believed that Jews were persecuted because they were different. And if Jews would be the same as their Christian neighbors, then they would no longer be hated. If Jews of Germany can be Germans of Mosaic faith, the faith of Moses, as opposed to Jews, they could be Germans like everybody else, then they would be accepted by their neighbors and there would be no more persecution, just as there's Catholics and there's Protestants in Germany, there would be Jews as well, but they would be Germans. Jews that, Germans that happen to be Jews. And so they dropped Yiddish in favor of German. And the Yiddish was kind of a unique Jewish language. They spoke, Jews spoke their own language, their own version of German, right, Yiddish. And they dropped Yiddish in favor of German. They began to dress like Germans. Jews then, until then, had distinct Jewish dress, dressed very different from Christians. So they started dressing the same. Um, and as part of that, they also moved to make Judaism look a lot more similar to Christianity. And in many ways, they changed Judaism, not at first changing Jewish law, but just changing Jewish custom and Jewish appearance to make it more culturally similar to Christianity. And so as part of that, many Jewish communities in Germany build these large cathedral-like synagogues. Large, giant synagogues were not that common until then in Europe. Um, we had kind of mostly smaller synagogues, but these large, huge synagogues with huge towers that looked like cathedrals were only mostly date only back to the 19th century. And many of these Jewish communities, and they, they, they made the synagogues in many ways look kind of the inside like churches as well, um, with pews and kind of make it very, um, they tried to make it very, um, look similar, make the services look similar to the Christian service um, in order to make Jews as similar as possible to, Christian, to Christians um, so that we weren't different. That was their idea. So as part of that, well, the Christian you know, churches had usually had these large towers on top in you know, the European churches with these big crosses. And so they did the same thing. They built these big cathedral-looking synagogues and many of them are still standing in Europe, all over Europe today. Um, and they had, of course, uh, choirs that would sing following the church choir in these new synagogues. They're often called choral synagogues because of the choir. Um, and, um, and, so they, uh, and so they also built these big towers on top of the synagogue, 
Kaput cross, that's Christian, they put a Star of David. Um, they probably took it from Prague and the other, it was found in a number of other communities, as the symbol of Jews. And so, by the synagogues all over Germany and um, Central Europe were built, um, and even Western Europe were built with, um, with these large stars of David, and it kind of became the symbol. German Jews in the mid-19th century came to the United States. Here in the United States, they built these big, beautiful synagogues as well. And um, here in the United States, Jews were really no different to Christians. Not legally different to Christians. We weren't visibly different to Christians in any way. We dressed, we spoke the same as you know, the Christians. We weren't different. Unlike we had been in Europe, we had kind of lived in our own ghettos. Right? And we had all these special Jewish laws. Um, in, um, here in the United States, we're like everybody else. The only thing that made us different was we prayed in a synagogue. We didn't go to church. So um, the symbol of Jews in the United States, everyone wore hats back then, right? Um, the symbol in, of Jews in the United States was that same star of these German Jews. And synagogues all over the U.S. all had these big stars of David in this kind of in the... Um, uh, in the external design of the synagogue, or sometimes on a tower on top of the synagogue, um, we built these stars of David all over. So by the late 19th century, the star of this star, this Magen David, had essentially become a symbol of Judaism. It was particularly in Central and Western Europe, less so in Eastern Europe. Um, and it was particularly for less religious Jews, for um, Jews that were um, more secularized, um, reformed communities. By then, many com in many places had split between traditionalists and, and reformed Jews. And so the, it became a symbol more for the less religious Jews, but really became known more and more as kind of the symbol of Jews. By the late 19th century, many Jewish, there's many Jewish clubs um, that use the Star of David already as their symbol. Many Jewish organizations. There's many Jewish sport teams now across Europe, and um, sports has kind of become part of the culture. Um, and those sports teams use the, Jew the star also as the Jewish stein. Most Western synagogues in Central and Western Europe and in the United States and in Western countries use the star, have a star in the synagogue design. And it's really become widely recognized as a universal symbol of Jews and Judaism. But it wasn't, again, it didn't happen slowly over the 19th century. At the very end of the 19th century, there were two things that really led to it becoming kind of the Jewish symbol. Firstly, at the end of the 19th century, the Zionist movement was created with the goal of creating a Jewish homeland in the land of Israel. In 1897, the World Zionist Organization had its first international um, convention in Basel, Switzerland. And Theodore Herzl, the um, founder of Zionism, um, tasked a friend of his, David Wolfson, with creating a flag for the new movement for the first Zionist Congress. So he decided on a white flag with a blue star of David in the middle with two blue stripes, one on top and one on the bottom. The stripes were supposed to represent a talit. Talits, by the way, in Europe at the time did not have blue stripes. They had black stripes. Um, in Sephardic communities, they had white stripes. But David Wolfson, who probably never went into a synagogue, um, probably didn't know much better, um, so it became blue. But the flag, um, this star with these two stripes, the blue star with the two blue stripes, 
became the um, symbol of Zionism, and then much later it would become the flag of the state of Israel. So now the star becomes synonymous, not just with Judaism um, and um, Jewish synagogues, uh, but also with Jews, with secular um, Jewish nationalism, which Zionists really was, a Jewish nationalist movement, um, and then um, creating a Jewish state. Less than two decades later, World War I broke out. All of the various nations involved in World War I had very, very large Jewish populations, with the Germany, the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, Britain, France, the Russian Empire, the, Tur the Ottoman Empire, the United States, all had very large Jewish populations. And as a result, hundreds of thousands of, uh, um, of Jewish soldiers um, from, uh, served all of the very, in all of the various militaries. Now, in World War I was one of the worst, um, wor uh, one of the worst tragedies, um, one of the uh, most horrific events in human history, only eclipsed by World War II many times over. But um, till World War II, I mean, World War I was an unimaginable horror. And millions were killed. Millions and millions of soldiers and civilians were killed in World War I. And um, World War I really created these huge, huge cemeteries. It was the first time where um, um, these more modern nations kind of felt the need to bury soldiers in a respectful way. And many of these huge, huge cemeteries were built in the various nations that were fought in World War I um, for the soldiers' remains with rows and rows and ro rows of tens of thousands of, um, of dead soldiers. And so um, many of these countries um, that kind of now had these new formal ways to bury their um, fallen heroes, um, they had now become, um, with these kind of mass cemeteries, with, mass gra with uh, many, many graves, um, would mark each grave uh, by religion, um, as became common then at that period. And uh, Christians were marked with a cross, every Christian grave. And Jews were marked with a Star of David. And so it became kind of the way to mark Jewish from Christian in, this, in, these, in these military cemeteries. And from there, very quickly spread to Jewish cemeteries all over. Um, and after World War I, we find um, the Star of David used extensively um, on Jewish graves, um, not just on first on military graves, but then really all over, um, kind of as the mark of, here lies a Jew. Um, and so since then, um, it has, in the century since then, the star has become the symbol of Jews, of Judaism, of the state of Israel, both of the reli religious Judaism, synagogues and religious items, as well as um, cultural Judaism, secular Judaism, and um, nationalistic Zionism, even secular Zionism sees it as a, it has become the symbol. Um, the star, again, as we mentioned, unlike um, Judge Blackman, Justice Blackman thought, has no unique religious meaning. Um, it does have significance in Kabbalah, among a number of other shapes. It has no unique religious meaning. Um, and it did be, but it did become, starting in the 14th century um, in Prague, um, it was used as a Jewish symbol, but really became known as a Jewish symbol in the last 200 years. So it's really in the last two centuries that the Star of David became recognized as a symbol of Judaism and the Jewish people.
I don't know that it was on his shield. As I mentioned earlier, there are various uh, there are various opinions as to what was on his shield. We don't find it. We don't find any Jewish source that it was actually on his shield until the 1700s. Um, so we don't know what was on David's shield. Maybe it was on his shield. Um, why it started to become known the shield of David, we don't know. Um, possibly there's Arabic sources, there's Muslim sources for that, but we don't know. If that's, that's kind of the theory that uh, Professor Shalom suggested. We don't know for certain where that name came from. Um, we don't find a reference to that shape as Magen David, the shield of David, until the 1500s. But is it supposed to be a protective so thing? We don't know. Um, again, it has Kabbalistic significance, representing the six spheroids in their eternal uh, or deeper sense. Um, it became a sign. It has no, other than that, has no particular religious significance. It was not historically the Jewish symbol, but has become the Jewish symbol in the last two centuries. Now, unlike Christianity, which has kind of a symbol of Christianity, Judaism, um, like and an, an Islam around the same time, also kind of took the crescent as a symbol of Islam, but historically Islam never had a symbol either. Um, it was also kind of a, came around the same time as a symbol of Islam. So unlike Christianity, Judaism never had a symbol. In Judaism, we don't believe, Judaism does, believes, does not believe in just using symbols while we design our synagogues and we like to make things ornate and we use, believe in artistic design. But Judaism did not really have a symbol because we didn't believe that one, sometimes you hear from people, just believe in this and you will be saved, right? We don't believe that just believing something or saying something, you can, um, that is the solution to all your problems. We don't believe that a particular symbol has in it all the solutions. Rather, Judaism focuses on action. In Judaism, there are 613 commandments that bind us to God. The way we proclaim our Judaism is not with symbols, but by following our commandments. What made Jews distinct was following the commandments. Putting up a mezuzah on your door, that made us distinct. It's a commandment. Wearing the tefillin, keeping Shabbat, eating kosher food. That is what truly defined us as unique and different as Jews. In a sense, it was only once Jews began to secularize, drop the observance of the commandments, that the commandments didn't make them distinct as Judaism. They felt the need for a symbol and found the Magen David, the Star of David, as this symbol. But the truth is that in Judaism, historically, our real, we don't have a symbol. Our sign of being Jewish is our fulfillment of God's commandments. And by fulfilling the commandments, whether by whether by putting up a mezuzah on our doors, by wearing the tefillin, by eating only kosher. That is what makes us distinctive as Jews, by keeping the holidays, Hanukkah, lighting the menorah, wearing a yamulka, dressing, thank you, dressing and according to the Jewish requirements of mode of dress. We spoke about that a little while ago, Jewish laws of modesty, um, of how we dress, 
um, the dressing distinctively Jewish. These are all not symbols, but these are following the commandments that really bring about, our, that really express our connection to God. But that is what makes us unique. That is what makes us special. And while the Star of David has become a symbol, it was not historically a symbol because Judaism doesn't need a symbol. We have our deeper connection to God, which is the connection through the commandments.